Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Hey everyone, and welcome to Raising Parents, the Parenting Science Insights podcast, produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Dina Sargent. Now, let's get started. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode. So today we're talking about civic engagement. Um, When I first heard of this, I pretty much had no idea what it was and what it meant. Um, I had to Google it to make sure and it it was very similar. It was, um, it's focusing on about community and how to help children sort of engage in the community and allow them to sort of develop a sense of um, civic duty to to society. Uh, So sort of help me go through this and sort of explain it better than I just did is Dr. Kelly. How are you going today, Dr. Kelly? Hello, Dina. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad that you are able to join us. It's um, thank you for joining me. Is it Sunday there for you right now? Yes, Sunday evening. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your Sunday evening and joining me to talk about this. My pleasure. Um, so to start off with, do you mind telling the audience, I know a little bit about you, but do you mind telling the audience sort of how you got started into this and what sort of made you want to talk about civic engagement? Well, um, I have been involved with volunteering, voting and vocal activism since I was a young teenager until present day. And um, civic engagement is very important to me. I realize that it helps me um, figure out my chosen profession of social work because mm-hmm. of the volunteering that I did. And in addition to that, the research that I did as an academician helped fuel the discussion of civic engagement in minority communities. <laughs> so I really feel as though I'd come full circle with this entire subject, um, not just because it's meaningful to me, but it really helps me bring home how important this subject is to transforming communities. <laughs> and so how, how did you sort of get started? I mean, you talked about doing volunteering from a very young age. What sort of made you want to start volunteering? Well, um, one of the things in, in, in the U.S., mm-hmm. this is something that happens a lot. If you want to be included in the National Honor Society, you have mm-hmm. to do community service. Mm-hmm. So, my advisor said, you know, do something that really makes you feel very good about yourself. If you're interested in a career, that's where you go. 
So I wanted to become a doctor, so I thought, okay, let me volunteer at a hospital. Mm -hmm. That was my first um, foray into volunteerism, where I would read to sick patients, help the nurses, deliver books to the infirmed. Um, It was really a very uh, eye-opening experience. Mm -hmm. And it taught me so much about myself. And that's what I think volunteerism and civic engagement really do. The impact for youth is that Mm -hmm. it builds self-esteem, helps with self-awareness, strengthens critical thinking and problem solving. All those things are critical in one's development from teenager to young adult. Mm -hmm. That's, it's pretty amazing how much, you sort of underestimate how impactful volunteering is, especially when it comes to taking time out of your own day to sort of do something for others. And it could be something very simple, I guess. It could be helping out a neighbor or it doesn't necessarily have to be assigned like volunteer stuff, but it's really amazing just how much it does impact you. Cause I, I love to volunteer when I can. And I know like there's a lot of communities that I sort of do try to help when I'm free, but I think it's the, when I'm free part is that really hard part, especially in today's world where you expect everything to sort of come with money attached to it. And volunteering is just not that. No, I think you're absolutely right. It's, It's making a redemptive difference in the life of another human being Mm -hmm. and their community. Mm -hmm. If you can say that you have made a redemptive difference, if you have positively impacted another human being's life, no matter what you're doing, then you have made that change and you have affected them. Mm -hmm. That is power. And not only does it improve the well-being of the individual you're helping, it Mm -hmm. also impacts you as the engaged individual. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with that. I think it really helps. It really helps you in sort of figuring out, I mean, it helps you figure out what area you wanted to work in and what field you wanted to do and you have no idea the amount of um job opportunities that can sort of come a career opportunities that can come from it as well so I think it's like for me especially when it comes to parenting and teaching a child to sort of volunteer um that's the really hard part and that's definitely what we're here to talk about today when it comes to parenting and I'm really excited for this Um, so before we get started, I love to do a little icebreaker to sort of get to know you a little bit more. So when I have these four, these five different areas, just say the first sort of thing that comes to your head about them. Sure. Okay. So the first one is your favorite book. Oh, well, I have two favorite books. 
Okay. The first one is Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. Mm-hmm. And I, it really helped me out because I'm looking forward to senior leadership positions in higher ed. So it's really helping me focus my attention on what do I want to do as a leader to be a servant to the people that I'm mm-hmm. leading. And that's what Brene Brown talks about. And the second book that was really impactful on my um, career was Jack Kemp, The Bleeding Heart Conservative That Changed America. Um, He has passed away, but um, he had an indelible mark on just how I see things in the United States. And um, really made an impression on me as a young person. Okay. I think I've had both of those answers from so many guests before on both of those books. And it's definitely, I keep adding books to my reading list now that my reading list is probably probably miles high at this point. So. Yes. But I think I, was, I started Dare to, Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. I've gotten up to about halfway through the book and it's just, yes. it's already pretty impactful. Like I haven't read all the way through and it's already, I'm already getting my highlighter and highlighting things of interest. And it's, it's pretty incredible how she words things and how she sort of sees, sees the world. Yes. Yes. So the next one is your favorite movie. <laughs> I have a few, but Okay. The one that never gets old with me is mm-hmm. Forrest Gump. Okay. And the reason why that movie moves me and is meaningful to me is because it speaks about the innocence of the human spirit. And yeah. and just that whole, you know, where he questions his mother, what is my destiny? And she responds, you're going to have to figure that out yourself. Life is a box of chocolates. You never mm-hmm. know what you're going to get. I always thought that was so meaningful because it speaks to how simple life really is. Mm-hmm. And we make it so complex sometimes but if you just sit down and reflect, you realize life really is very simple. Yep. No, I completely agree. I think we make it very complicated. And yes. Yes. And that movie is by far one of the greatest. At Like you said, it shows innocence. Even as they get older, they're still very naive and still very, they still see the world with, a whole lot of rainbows and a whole lot of sunshine and they still try to see the positive in it. And I think that's why that movie will never get old, no matter where we end up in this world. Exactly. So the next one is your favorite podcast. Oh, well, um, I just started listening to her and okay. um, her it's the assignment with Audie Cornish. 
Okay. She's um, a reporter with CNN. And I like how she has been very balanced and fair with her mm -hmm. reporting on all things political and social. And mm -hmm. um, she has reported on the COVID crisis and really tried to be um, as fair and balanced as possible with talking about COVID and how it's impacted communities. Mm -hmm. And so that's the podcast that I listen to. I'm just beginning to do the foray into podcasts. I'm new to the whole system. Yeah. So I'm I'm just getting used to yours. So I I appreciate the question, but I'm new to the whole field. Yes. Podcast is a very it's a very up and coming sort of area now. I mean, it just recently popped up to for everyone to really enjoy and um, yeah, there are a lot of podcasts. I think Brene Brown also has a podcast. Yes, she does. That she does as well. So um, I've started listening to that. I will start to research. What was the name of the, the show? Cornish. Okay. It's Audie called Cornish. The Assignment with Audie Cornish. A-U-V-I-E is her first name. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. I've, se I've seen it, but I haven't listened to it yet. Um, it's just um, and it's, it's a few moments. It's not yeah. too too long. Um, just a few moments of information that's political, social, economic, um, all those things that can impact communities and people throughout the primarily throughout the United States. Oh wow! Okay. So I, and I love that it's always like location focused, especially when it comes to podcasts, because when you hear about the world, the world is, everyone is, every country sort of goes through different, different situations. And it's nice to see yes. that there's one that's like one country focuses. No, um, I agree. Yeah. So next up is a famous role model. Oh my goodness. Well, I have a few. But I will say, because um, I've been in academia for 20 years, mm -hmm. the person that helped me best understand being a person of color in a predominantly white institution in higher education was Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice. And the mm -hmm. reason why she was so important to me is because she um, rose up through the ranks at the esteemed institution, Stanford University. And her early years were fraught with a lot of pain, a lot of um, just people not appreciating what she brought to the table as a scholar mm -hmm. and she just wouldn't you know let that deter she put her head down did her work and she rose to become provost national security advisor and secretary of state 
and she is a world-renowned expert on all things Russia. Mm -hmm. And when I was moving up the ranks in academia, I realized, Dina, I needed to put my head down and do my work and all things will work out. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. And she was an inspiration for me. Wow, that's incredible to be able to take someone in sort of a similar situation, similar sort of background and just be able to be influenced so much by her. And I think I think that's incredible. It's it's yes. really nice, especially when it comes to being because I'm um, I'm Muslim, so I'm. It's very much a like minority sort of focus, yeah, and hun. especially when it comes to women in media, you, it's really hard to find women in media as a whole. But finding a yes. Muslim woman in media is still a whole other sort of category. So exactly. I, I can definitely see how you find one person as an inspiration and just sort of see them all the way through. And I, I think that's incredible. Thank you. So the last one is a favorite course that you've completed. Oh, um, one of the um, courses that I completed because I'm an NCE fellow, mm -hmm. one of the courses that I took was NCE's Agile Administrator, okay. which focused on helping you understand the vulnerabilities of leadership, the adaptability of leadership, and how you need to be a servant leader mm -hmm. as an Agile Administrator in higher education. Okay, wow. That's that's very in a um just how you are in the field. It's not teaching you what to do in the field, it's teaching you how to be in it. And I think that's very different. It's a very different kind of course. Yes. So um how long was that course? Oh Is my it... goodness, it was about six weeks. Okay. That's that's a pretty hard yes. focus. Yeah. It was about um, an hour each week for six yep. weeks, so six hours. Oh, that's pretty good. Spaced out really well. No, I think I think that's great. So we've come to talk about a little bit more about civic engagement. And so first off, what do you think is your sort of definition on parenting? Yes. Well, back in the day when I was a practicing social worker, mm -hmm. um, I used to work with parents who lost their kids to foster care. Mm -hmm. And then on the cusp of getting their kids returned to them, I would always have a meeting with the parents to make certain they were prepared for their children coming back home. Oh, wow. Okay. And I would always say to their parent, parent your child in such a way that you want them to treat you when mm -hmm. you are older 
and cannot make a way for yourself. Yeah. And they would always tell me, Diane, I cannot do that. What if they never forgive me? And I would respond, take you one day at a time. Show them mm -hmm. love, unconditionally. Show them humility. Mm -hmm. Show them your faith. Show them structure. And definitely show them gentleness. If you exemplify all those things, when you get old, Mm -hmm. They will treat you the same way and forgive you. Yeah. And that's the whole thing about parenting. Many people don't realize, Dina, that parenting is a journey. Yeah. Not a destination. It's a journey. Yes. You'll yeah. help an individual in Marwinch from infancy Mm -hmm. to adulthood with questions along the way of their origin, of who they are, of what makes them tick, how, what's the meaning of life? Mm -hmm. And all those questions happen every day, all day long. And as a parent, you're the first line of defense answer those questions and that is why parenting is meaning yep no that it's it's amazing just how varied that definition of parenting can be because everyone like i said everyone has their own very broad definition of what it is and um i've seen i've heard it be compared to mentoring to um being an influential person. And every time I sort of ask that question, it's sort of a question that I ask every guest that comes onto the show. And it's so, it really helps me define what it is as well. Cause parenting, it's not, it's not just, okay, this is your child. You have to deal with it. This is someone that doesn't know a lot about the world yet. And you're the person that they're turning to in order to figure it out. Yes. So it's, and it's amazing. Used, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, it's okay, you go. go no, I used to say if it, you know, when I would have the couple in front of me, mm -hmm. the mother and the father, I used to always say to them that the mother holds the child to her bosom, mm -hmm. nestles the child so that the child is always feeling safe. The father, however, points the child on the shoulders to mm -hmm. show the world he will bequeath to the child. If that father has very little resources, mm -hmm. that father is bequeathing his dreams for the child. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's that's pretty amazing as to how it is. And it's I love that there's a very different need for each parent. And and there are some people who are really lucky enough to have both sides to it. Yes. Um, 
Yeah, especially when it comes to sort of trying to teach them how to be in the world. And as nurturing as a mother can, a father is definitely, I mean, I know my dad, he's sort of, but my parents are very different ways in their parenting. So my dad really loved to show by example. Um, and it was, it's pretty incredible to see how influential that just by showing by example can be. No, you're absolutely yeah. right. And um, just the research on mm -hmm. attachment theory alone, mothers and fathers have different relationships with their children. And mm -hmm. the children gravitate to each parent differently based on how they perceive the parent protecting them. Mm -hmm. And that's all attachment theory. It's very, it's very influential and it definitely impacted my research, you know, yeah. on um, generative parenting. Yeah, I think attachment, different parents have different ways of attachment. And that sort of really gets handed on to the child. And it's really interesting to see um, how influential, even that sort of pattern of how close you want to be with your child impacts the mm -hmm. child itself. Um, so the next question, what do you think the expectant parent needs to be aware of in their transition to parenthood? Yes, that's a great question. I always say whether you physically have the child or you're adopting the child, mm -hmm. and it goes back to what I said before, you have to know that parenting is not an end destination, that it is a journey. And the cycle and development of the young child is so critical to thinking about what are you prepared to do for the child as an infant. You mm -hmm. need to show them unconditional love. You need to show them gentleness. You need to communicate with the child. And communicate with the child. I'll give you a very good example about it. We need to read to our children from the time that they are born. Mm -hmm. Not only does this reading affect critical thinking, but it also challenges and develops the cognitive skills. Just reading yeah. to the child alone during infancy helps develop cognitive skills. Mm -hmm. And those cognitive skills help with social development, help with self-awareness, with the whole concept of sharing, which goes back to an altruistic, which family environment. Mm -hmm. Just being able, you know, that whole concept of sharing meals with your child while they're eating. Can I have some of your ice cream? Sure, honey. Here's the scoop. That's understanding the concept of sharing. So when you go to kindergarten, 
or mm -hmm. early childhood, and some kid says, can I share your toy? Sharing is not some uh, alien idea. You actually know how to share because you learned it in the family context. Mm -hmm. And that's what expected parents should be prepared for, knowing all the nuances of living with a growing individual who is learning so much about themselves in a family context. No, I, I, I completely agree with the first part that you said about the, they, it's not the end of something when you talk about parenting. It's not the end of your life and the start of someone else's. It's still like we talk about it as if it's a happily ever after kind of situation, especially when you have both parents who being expectant parents and that's sort of, okay, that's the end of the story. And a whole new chapter is starting, but it's still pretty much the same story. It's just a whole other, whole other sort of part to it. And yes, it's it's pretty interesting when people say, "Okay, so my life is ending because I'm becoming a parent." Like this whole other part of them is ending that they used to be. And no, no, it's a exactly. beautiful journey. Or I'll be honest with you, Dina. Mm -hmm. I love being a mom. Yeah. I have watched my two daughters, who are now 24 and 17. I have watched them grow and develop into phenomenal women who really do incredible work and have great friends, are great friends to other people. And um, these are just wonderful women. And I, I'd like to think that I, you know, my husband Mary had a hand in that, but those were the early years mm -hmm. that we shaped their development. A lot of their development was shaped by their experiences outside the home. And they come back home with questions of, well, this happened today. What should I do about it? Mm -hmm. And that is where development begins, where the self-awareness begins, where mm -hmm. the self-esteem begins, where they understand that who they are is an extension of family, of their early experiences in the cocoon of early development. Mm -hmm. And I think that slides in perfectly with why we're here and the influence that community has in a child's development. Um, so to start off with, how would you define children's civic engagement? Sure. Um, it's... Being able to transform a community to one stage of development. And those, um, I'll, I'll give you a very good example. Um, mm -hmm. Professor Connie Flanagan, 
who is Professor Emeritus at um, University of Wisconsin in Madison. Mm -hmm. She wrote the book Teenage Citizens. And one of the things that she talked about was how youth renovate outcomes in communities and transform communities through their work. I would add to her definition that it, in, in addition to that, it is volunteerism, voting, and vocal activism. Mm -hmm. One of the things, and I don't know how it met itself out in Australia, but back in 2020 and 2021, here in the United States, we had many marches um, following the George Floyd murder. Do you, do you remember yes. that? Yes. yes, I remember that. And a lot of the people who were marching were Gen Zers mm -hmm. who took up the mantle of social justice and civic engagement to say, we will not take this anymore. Mm -hmm. And it was a powerful demonstration of just a whole new generation of youth being guided to social justice. Mm -hmm. And um, that's what I would define it as, really transforming communities one group at a time. Yeah. That's what I would say is youth civic engagement. And I think like, especially when it comes to that example of the George Floyd case and how impactful that is on people, not just in the US, but everywhere in the world. And I think on the same day as the US had the protests, I think every country sort of did it at the same time. And we were yes. all, I remember it so clearly. And it was such a, it was a big community that came together worldwide no matter where you're from no matter where you are and that stood for something that was so in unjust and stood for justice as a community yes um, and i think we underestimate like honestly for me personally i think we definitely underestimate how impactful um protesting is and standing for and marches are and peaceful protesting is a very big thing and that's why I see the whole crux of civic engagement mm -hmm. is vocal activism. <laughs> we had the civil rights movement change mm -hmm. things for black people because it started with a small group of people and mushroomed to a movement yeah. that had transformed laws, that changed um, communities, mm -hmm. that changed education policy. It made a significant difference. And again, 
for millennials and Gen Zers, you can see the same, you know, movement happening with social justice. Okay. And for those two generations, social justice is very important. Yes. No, I think so, especially when it coming into the new world that we are going into, leading into today, where um, everyone is sort of, everyone is able to have a say and they realize that they're able to have a say in how their world is being run. And I think it comes when it comes to civic engagement and just being part of the community, I think like in, a, in America, I know in the US, I think voting's not a, um, you don't have to vote. There's no like, you don't have, you choose to vote or not in, in Australia. Yeah. In Australia, it's very different where you're, you have to vote. And yeah, so it's, it's a whole lot of other things, but I think when it comes to, from what I've seen in Australia, at least is a, a lot less people are taking part in it actively. And even though we're by law, we're supposed to vote, there is still that whole thing of people just aren't interested in it. People aren't, because I think like in a way, I think I kind of understand that in a sense that there aren't a lot of people that would be started, that would be trying to fight for just justice rights. And I think that's what sort of stops the whole thing about voting and that's sort of like the interest in voting, the interest in taking part. Um, it's just that you don't always see a change in everything that you fight for. And that's the big part of it. Um, especially when it comes to the leaders, you're trying to figure out who to trust and who will actually go with their word. And no matter where you are, there's still no guarantee that, that it will be the case. And that's the whole crux yeah. of voting that you have to vote with a sense of hope. Mm -hmm. You know, the two are inextricably linked, mm -hmm. voting and hope. And yeah. you have to believe that the people living here mm -hmm. are doing the best job they can possibly do. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I, and I'm working on this uh, in an upcoming book that I'm editor of called Volunteerism. And okay. uh, one of the things that I talk about in the book is that when people are looking for their leaders, mm -hmm. they want someone who is forward thinking who is a problem solver, who sees the big picture, but who knows how to get through the weeds. Yes. And that is critical. That's what people want. They don't want all this partisan bullcrap and messy mess. They want someone who is going to sit at the table collaborate, unify, mm -hmm. and move the respective country forward. Yes. That's what people want out of their leader. No, I 
100% agree. And I think especially in this day and age, it's very, it's very important to find that. Um, so going into sort of the parenting side of it all, like us parents, like parents are trying to be as influential as they can. Um, how do you sort of find the correlation between civic engagement and parenting? Yes. Well, parents are critical in fostering an altruistic, rich home environment Mm -hmm. from the early years of a child's development. They learn sharing. They learn caring. They learn chores, meaning Mm -hmm. eventual work ethic. And all these things help a child understand who they are, what their place is in the world, and how they can give themselves to another individual. Mm-hmm. And that's how the, the, the importance of that is the parent showing the child how to act. One of the things that I learned from my grandfather, mm-hmm. my grandfather used to take, used to take my mom, my aunt, and my uncle to the polling places, and in his pickup truck, he would drive around to the elderly to pick them up so they could vote. Mm-hmm. When I was young, my mom and dad, you would take me to the voting booth with them. And I used to watch them vote for individuals. And I would also always ask them, well, how do you know that person is the right person? And my mom would always say, because I believe in them. Mm-hmm. So come to me as early as I could, I was taking my children to the voting booth and really helping them see that we have an impact mm-hmm. on who leads us. The one time you have a say in who sits at that table is when you vote. Mm-hmm. So when my daughter turned 18, we made certain she was ready to vote and everything. And it was like a rite of passage that she was able to, you know, cast her vote. And as if you asked her, she would tell you she really had no idea what she was doing. <laughs> but she really, you know, emphasized that me and my husband taught her well and she did the best she could in the voting booth Mm -hmm. so that's what i would say the correlation between parenting and youth civic engagement is fostering an altruistic rich home environment that exemplifies giving back to others. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and, and I know that they say, like, they have the whole saying of it takes a village to raise a child. And, yes. And I think that really fits into this discussion today because it's really a big part. I mean, like you said, a parent can do so much as to just showing them, teaching them what it is, and then hoping that they have a, they've, they've learned enough in order to take control when they get to an age where they need to vote. Um, so how impactful, I mean, especially with your children as well, how impactful was the community in sort of how they oh, were raised? extremely impactful. Mm-hmm. Dana, there's no way. I'm, I would not be the mom that I am mm-hmm. if it weren't for the examples of my parents. And my mm-hmm. husband wouldn't be the dad that he is if it weren't for the example of his parents. So those examples were meaningful. But in addition to being examples, the grandparents were very involved in the raising of our children. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, um, I am a former Girl Scout leader. Mm-hmm. So my daughters were involved in Girl Scouts until my eldest was 13 and my youngest was six. Um, and we're also involved in Jack and Jill, which helps, which allows us to um, develop ourselves as far as leadership and community service in the the community. And um, it really does take a village. There's no way I would... My girls turned out the way they are because of that village, because Mm -hmm. of our friends, because of their godparents, because of their grandparents, because of their aunts and uncles, because of their cousins. They're they're who they are because of the village. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, it's really lucky to have a family, um, to live near family as well. And I think that's, that's a big part of, of it all. Um, I sort of like, because my family, we moved around a lot. So we always in different places. Um, I don't think I ever really lived near my grandparents until recently. So it was a big difference when it came to um, having my grandparents around and just being able to see them and being able to have actual conversations with them that sort of made an impact on how I saw the world. And I didn't realize how much, um, how important it was until I had them there and just being able to sort of have a different opinion to what I grew up thinking, what I grew up seeing. And I, I, I can definitely understand how, like, I mean, I'm really amazed at my parents for being able to move around and just never sticking with a community to be able to raise us and just the two of them because I had no idea how they were able to do it half the time. Um, And I definitely think if they stuck around in one place, it would have been different. But 
it it was really nice to sort of see that how important community is and um i'm grateful now that they're not moving around anytime soon so we're able to figure it out <laughs> so the next part is talking about the types of civic engagement the types of different community events that sort of take place are there any specific types of the sort of civic duties and civic engagement that parents should be aware of well um i'll go back to what i said a few moments ago developmentally think mm -hmm. about scouting for girls and boys mm -hmm. scouting is a rich um, activity that not only exposes a child to community service mm -hmm. and being a leader but it also helps with self-esteem it helps with um, self-awareness it helps with social skills and one social network mm -hmm. and, and just being around you know, adults and other children who are like-minded, it helps you figure out, wow, I like this about myself. I like how I mastered this skill. Mm -hmm. And it, it really makes you see yourself differently. So scouting is one. There's also the 4-H club that um, is international. They do a lot of work with um, community development and young people can be involved in 4-H as early as primary school. Okay. And then in addition to those two, there's the environment. You know, you can do gardens, um, you know, gardens where you have community gardens Mm -hmm. recycling or um, and community cleanups. And that can also be done as early as primary school. So mm -hmm. those are the three areas I would have parents kind of look to. And it's really trying to figure out what is the best fit for your child mm -hmm. and their personality. So... I mean, you often hear the saying, sort of, um, do your civic duty to society. How relevant is that in a sort of community participation? Do your civic duty. It goes back to the three elements that I raised before, volunteerism, mm -hmm. voting, and vocal activism. Mm -hmm. From a young age, you can have a hand in any of those three areas. In the U.S., you're not allowed to vote until you turn 18. I don't know how it is in Australia. I but, think it's the same um, age. Same age? Yeah. So, but one of the things that we saw during presidential campaigns mm -hmm. is young people who is 16 years old campaigning for a presidential candidate. Mm -hmm. And that can give you an exposure 
to the electoral landscape that governs your existence. Mm-hmm. So to me, it really is about voting, volunteerism, and vocal activism. Those three areas are critical to civic participation. Okay. So those those are really big, big sort of areas. They're not very small sort of um, categories. They're very big when it comes to... Um, is it does that sort of impact a child's developmental skills as well? Those three areas. Yes, um, mm-hmm. it goes back to what I said before about um, social networks, social skills, work mm-hmm. ethic. Um, it teaches you so much about yourself mm-hmm. and who you are and what you bring to the table, and mm-hmm. if you. Volunteerism alone teaches you work ethic, teaches you social skills. And uh, voting has a lot to do with hope and faith, being forward thinking. Um, Another thing about volunteerism is that it um, helps with problem solving, which is a developmental skill, and Mm -hmm. vocal activism has to do with social network, social grouping, um, problem solving, critical thinking, self-awareness, all Mm -hmm. those things. So um, those are the benefits of those three areas. Okay. So we talked about different ages and how, um, like for example, 18 is when they're able to vote. There are a lot of children of so many different ages that are trying to get into the community and trying to understand um, civic duty and things like that. What types of civic participation are appropriate for children of various ages? Yes. Um, as early, you can start as early as five, six years old mm-hmm. with community gardens. Mm-hmm. There are many organizations out there that are focused on beautification of communities. And you can start as early as five, six years old with community gardens. Okay. Uh, community cleanup. Um, and then also uh, recycling. Mm-hmm. Being able to say to a child, when they look at that community garden, you did this. It makes a difference in how that child sees themselves and views their community, mm-hmm. especially if they're coming from a community that is socially disorganized with high crime and that sort of thing. They mm-hmm. need to see something beautiful emerging from the community. Mm-hmm. It's it's nice, especially when it comes to community gardens, you get to see, like you said, you get to see something that um, that they made and something that they can be proud of. And I remember going to community gardens as a kid and sort of just being a part of it and seeing people of so many different ages taking part and being a part of it and just joining in. And it was... It's really nice to have that 
um, availability. And I know that not a lot of places do do have that opportunity because it's a it's a really big thing to sort of take part in. And I don't think a lot of areas are able to have that. The area that I'm in now, for example, um, doesn't have any any sense of that whatsoever. And it made me really lose that sense of togetherness that you could feel with a community that I used to grow up in. Yes, I grew up in the city. I live in a suburb now, but when I grew up, I grew up in the city. Mm-hmm. And I would visit my grandfather in rural South Carolina. And mm-hmm. I learned from an early age the importance of giving back to the community. Mm-hmm. I learned that from everyone in my family that your destiny is to give back to your community. Wherever you see someone needing help, give them help. Wherever you see someone needing clothes, you give them clothes. Your destiny is to give back to the community. That's how I was raised. That's how I raised my children. That's an incredible way of being of being taught. And I think I think that goes back to leading with example as well, teaching a child through um, through actions rather than just telling them they need to do it. And I think so how different is that when you compare um, sort of telling a child that they need to do this and showing them what they should be doing? Showing is mm-hmm. more meaningful. That means you're exemplifying the action that you want the child to take. Mm -hmm. It is being a role model. You can tell someone a whole lot of things and it goes in one ear and out the other. Mm -hmm. But if you do it and you do it together, one thing my mom used to always say, I want you to give back. I want you to, you know, give up yourself. And then um, when I was a young adult, we joined the Red Cross together and hmm. volunteered together with the Red Cross. And we did that for about three years. And I think my mother and I became closer because of the volunteerism that we did together. Mm-hmm. And it allowed me to see her differently as she was leading one of the initiatives that we were working on for the Red Cross. And um, I never forgot that. It, it really was a powerful moment for me mm-hmm. just to be with her, enjoy her. Um, seeing how much of a difference she made in the lives of the clients of the Red Cross. Mm-hmm. And um, to see a black woman who came from humble beginnings make a significant difference in the lives 
of other black individuals who had meager beginnings. So mm-hmm. it really was, it was an incredible experience. No, that sounds, that sounds really inspirational as well. I mean, it, it sounds like such a, a great role model to have growing up. Yeah, for sure. So going into some of the challenges in sort of fostering or adapting to civic engagement, what are the most common challenges that parents experience when developing a child's sense of community? Um, the biggest challenge, I would say, is that when you're leading the child, it's not a good fit for the child. Mm-hmm. Not every child is an ideal um, person for scouting. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they're more of that child who wouldn't find it more um, satisfying to read books to young children at a local library. Mm-hmm. That that's moving for them. You have to ask a child, what do you want to do? In the early years, when they're young, you can probably lead them to different activities. But when they say, why do we have to do this? You say, because you're giving back. We're going to give of ourselves. We're going to make a difference. You're mm-hmm. going to do something good for someone else. But as they get older, you want the child to have a say in where they will go. Mm-hmm. And if that means that they're no longer interested in scouting, they're more interested in social justice, then you will allow the child to do that. I, I remark, um, and I am moved as a researcher on civic engagement by the youth in, who emerged from that Parkland shooting that happened several years ago yep. in Florida at the Marjorie um, Douglas School. And okay. I am moved by those youths who, you know, had a significant movement against gun violence and, you know, promoting gun reform and really standing up to the NRA and saying, you know, under no circumstances can we land with these laws the way they are. They need to be sensible gun laws. And I I was really impressed by them because they were young, as young as 15, 16 years old. Mm-hmm. And they had the presence of mind to move adults. Mm-hmm. And that is the power of civic participation. Allowing a child once they come into their teen years, the decision 
go their own way and be engaged in the way that makes them feel good about themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think like that is a great example of of a child determined to try to make a difference. Um, I know that there are also some cases where it's completely the other way and a child has absolutely no interest in doing that. And sometimes, um, for example, when you talk about how important it is and then you say, like some children have no, have a lack of empathy and a lack of really understanding. How would you get those children to sort of really find a place to take part? Well, that's the hard part. Mm -hmm. Because you can, during the early years, I would say from five to 10, you can drag a child, and I use the word drag, you can drag a child to beginning mm-hmm. um, engagements where they're going to do something for someone else. But once a child is of middle school age, um, 11 and older, mm-hmm. it really makes a difference for the child to determine where they want to use their energy. Mm-hmm. And if they don't decide, then you're going to have um, apathy, you're going to have discontent, mm-hmm. and that's not how you want a young adult to emerge and have their own um, decision about where they want to give their time and energy. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm saying by the time a child is 11 years old, if they don't want to um, be engaged, allow them to do sports, allow them to do dance, allow them to do whatever makes them happy. Mm-hmm. Because it's still developmental. And the child is finding out who they are mm-hmm. as they're developing. So that when they emerge into young adulthood, they can say for themselves, oh, I want to be involved in environmental causes because I really believe in climate change. And that is meaningful then at that moment to that person. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's, that's, it's amazing just how many many different areas that a child can get involved in when it comes to um, playing a sport or taking art classes. Like it's still developing that um, sense of other people, other people are around and this is how you should behave. I think it's also, it doesn't help in behavioral skills as well in the sense of those sort of areas as well. No, I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it really does make a big difference. That's why I, I am a firm believer 
that after a certain age, mm-hmm. the decision of where I should be engaged should come from the child. Okay. You can, as parent, help direct that decision. Mm-hmm. But the challenge is, what is a good fit? Where should the child go to give of themselves and their energy and their time? What would be the more favored outcome of a child's engagement? Mm-hmm. And the child has to decide that. Okay. So I guess you can do as much as you can as a parent and sort of guide them as well as you can. And they just hope that they learn enough from you that they can go out into the world a little bit more um, with a social aspect. Yes. Mm-hmm. So for more parenting tips, um, what are some of the best practices in your opinion that parents can adopt in developing a child's civic engagement? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Do it together and mm-hmm. communicate. One, and this goes back to what I had said early on when we were talking about parenting. You know, when you're, you know, during infancy and you're reading to a child, mm-hmm. and as the child goes into toddler years and early childhood years, they're always asking questions about, but why, why, why? And yep. you're like, because, because, because. The communication never ends. Mm-hmm. As a child gets older, the conversations become more complex. And they want to know what is the meaning of X? And why do people do this? Mm-hmm. You know, the whole... Um, the recent um, police beating of the gentleman in Memphis. I don't know if you guys heard about that. I I haven't on my side. I'm pretty sure it's there, but I just haven't heard it. Yes, um, it happened in Memphis uh, uh, back in January. And Mm -hmm. um, you have children saying, but I don't understand why the police did this. Yeah. And they're asking you, the parent, and you, the parent, have to come up with a explanation for something that even our leaders can't figure out. And that's why I'm saying communication is so critical mm-hmm. as we're moving from infancy to the end of teenage years. Communication. Mm-hmm. That's how you're going to get a child engaged mm-hmm. is through communication and by doing the engagement together. Yeah. Because you're modeling the behavior, the civic rich 
behavior that you want your child to do. Mm-hmm. And you do that by modeling the behavior, doing the engagement together, and communicating what your expectations are and what the child should expect. Mm-hmm. And I think that leads perfectly into our next little segment called practice and habit. Um, sort of say, so what is your practice to improve your parenting and developing your child's civic engagement? It goes back to what I just um, mentioned, communication. Mm-hmm. We talk about engagement, participation, um, I sit on the boards of organizations um, and they see through my activity what is expected of them and um, it makes me feel good that I'm mm-hmm. leading by example. My husband is on the board of organizations that make a difference in the lives of other human beings. And um, we enjoy what we do. And that's why our children will eventually do the same thing as they get older. But in the meantime, they are understanding what is doable for them in the mm-hmm. here and now mm-hmm. at their engine develop because mm-hmm. they're young. Yeah. So what can they do while they're young? Yeah. Um, so when it comes to communication, especially in your family about civic engagement, what are three positive things that you've found going about this practice? Oh my gosh. <laughs> three positive things I would have to say faith mm-hmm. um, is a big part of it. And um, unconditional love for your insular family mm-hmm. as well as your love for other people. Mm-hmm. And I think the most important out of all the three is kindness. Really knowing that if you are kind Mm -hmm. to another human being, it opens the door to a rich relationship. And it, it allows both of you to see what is similar between the two of you. Mm-hmm. Um, because we live in a world where people are quick to see what our differences are. Yep. And if you can show faith, love, and kindness, you realize how similar we are and how we are striving 
for the same thing, which is yep. stability and security. No, I, it's amazing how well those three fit together and how, um, how important each of those areas are in, um, not only a family, but in, in a community as well and how impactful it can be to each individual that's, that gets to face it every day. Um, so in contrast, what are some of the challenges that you face when going through communication in your family? Oh my gosh. I would say the challenges are dealing with um, lack of hope. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when you're faced with a child who's thoughts about their future has been diminished by some crisis that happened in the world. Mm -hmm. And they come to you with tears in their eyes about how could this have happened in today's society? Yes. As a parent, you want to hug your child and tell them everything is going to be okay, but you know then it won't be because mm -hmm. the world is focused on differences, hatred, and violence. And so you try to pick your child up, give them as much information as possible about how there can be a redemptive mm -hmm. difference in the life of other people. Mm -hmm. And how can they do that? So you focus your attention on whom your child is, what their strengths are, and try to foster a sense of hopefulness in them mm -hmm. so that they can go back out into the world stronger because you gave them hope. Yep. But that's really what I would say is, is the challenge is when your child is facing lack of hope and you have to explain why the world is the way it is. Yeah. No, I think that's, um, that's a really incredible answer to go along with it because it's, especially in today's society, there's still a lot of things that we're all lacking. And I think you said it earlier, we're all seeing the differences first and we're all seeing what I have that you don't have rather than seeing what we have in common. And and I honestly think that that's, if we just change our way of thinking, that could honestly save so much time, so much energy um, and just have a whole different impact on how society is run. Uh, but I think lack of hope is definitely something that I think, especially in our generation, because I think I'm, I think I'm pretty much the same age as your oldest daughter and going through that. Yes. So you're a Gen Z. -er. Yes. Yes. And, um, definitely faced with the challenge of 
um, trying to figure out how we are in the world and how we can make a difference, especially with um, when in society, a lot of us, a lot of people still see our age in the early 20s as being children and not really having much to say. And I think we forget how impactful um, our early 20s, how impactful that we are, we can be. Um, and a lot of people do underestimate young adults and underestimate children as to what they have to say. Um, yes. With a lack of life experience, especially. And I think we um, definitely underestimate how how we can sort of have an impact. No, I agree with you because when I was growing up, there was that old adage that children should be seen and not heard. Mm -hmm. And my family did not buy into that. Mm -hmm. That um, when we would sit at the dinner table, my father would always ask my brother and I what our opinions were of the political events, the headline in the newspaper, what was going on in the community, mm -hmm. what we thought. And we mm -hmm. had to speak intelligently about this issue. Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes I was nervous because I, I always felt maybe I didn't know enough. So it made me make certain that the next time we sat down for dinner, I was aware of everything that I needed to be aware of because I had no idea what the conversation at dinner was going to be. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it really makes a big difference when you can instill hope in your child and um, meaningful, you know, just yeah. meaning. No, I, I definitely, I 100% agree with you. I think children have so much to say and a lot of it is, they ask questions we don't know the answers to, but they ask questions that we need to ask ourselves as well. And um, the amount of times that I have, um, some of my friends' children, they come up to me and they ask, so many different weird questions, but some of them are really questions that I wouldn't even know to ask. But they have such a, um, they have such an understanding of a world that's very different from us. And I think they have so much they could teach us um, if we just sort of hear them out. And I think it's, um, it's very interesting how parents don't, still have that be seen and not heard understanding of children. Yes. And that was the thought process when the Parkland shooting um, students yes. were, you know, had their movement, that they were acting out of their wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. And I was one of those people, I said, one of the most beautiful things that I've ever seen was young people standing up 
for fighting for justice. Yep. It was no. a beautiful sign. Yeah, it really was. I think I remember a little bit of the speech and just the way that um, some of the students were able to say what they thought without getting emotional, without getting irrational. They're just so coherent. Everyone could understand what they were saying and what they were wanting. And they said they spoke better than most adults that you see on the street. And that was what amazed me the most. No, I totally agree. And and it is, you know, they're still actually involved in the movement. Mm-hmm. And um, there's made a critical difference. Yes, no, 100%. Um, so now we're going into the questions from audience. We do have quite a lot, but a lot of them seem to be very similar. So I'm going to keep to f- keep to a few of them. Um, so why is it important for children to be involved in civic engagements? Oh, that's a great question. Not only is it developmentally sound, and leads to a lot of benefits as far as self-esteem, social skills, social networking, problem-solving, critical thinking, self-awareness. But it also changes the life of an individual and their community. Mm-hmm. And, and the... I would say the tentacles of that in their child's impact are profound mm-hmm. because it enables that child to have a reach beyond their individual person and their family. Mm-hmm. So the next, the next one is. How can civic engagement activities be adapted for children with disabilities or special needs? Oh, that's a great question. Um, Because uh, children with special needs is a very um, important uh, issue for me because I have written articles on that. One of the things that I would say is that scouting 4-H and community gardens and library volunteerism all have made it their mission to be inclusive mm-hmm. of youth with special needs and um, disabilities. Mm-hmm. And so not only is the child with disabilities or who's neurodiverse. Not only is the child receiving help, but for whatever the the activity is, they are showing how capable they are mm-hmm. in delivering services to another individual. And yep. that is critical. Um, when you talk about neurodiverse, and that's children with autism, ADHD, or learning disabilities, 
But being able to show that you are just as good mm-hmm. as an uh, able-bodied individual, to show that you're just as good is powerful and has a lot of impact on one's self-esteem. So uh, this topic is very important to me, and um, I want parents of neurodiverse children and uh, disabled children uh, to know that their child can be included Mm -hmm. in engagement activities and civic participation because that is where we're moving toward in scouting 4-H community gardens that's what we're moving toward yeah no i i love how developed it's starting to get and people are they're not just saying okay you have to be careful about the child that's participating because they're disabled they have some disability but they're actually trying to engage children with disabilities as much as possible Yes. And there are a lot of things that, yes, there's ways that they can sort of work around it and they can sort of change the way it is, but they're trying to make it seem as normal as possible. And I love, I love that they're able to do that now, especially when it comes to um, volunteering. I know that there's a lot of, um, for example, a radio station that I follow that's um, based in Australia, they have uh, volunteer for, but they have specifically for children with disabilities. So they have like this sort of area where the children with disabilities are able to come onto the show and take part in radio, take part in learning a bit more about it. And I love how engaging that is because one, that sort of opens them up to a career idea that they can, a job that they can exactly. make out of it. Exactly. And and they have hope in their head that they're able to do something, that they're able to take part in it. And I think that's what a lot of children with disabilities love seeing. They love seeing that they can still do something. Yeah. yeah. And that they're, that they're not so different from other exactly. children. Yes, exactly. They, they just have an infirmity. That's it. Yeah. But they're similar to other children. And that is meaningful. Yes. No, I 100% agree with that. So the next question is, what advice would you give to parents or educators who want to help children become more civically engaged, but aren't sure where to start? Um, there's lots of places to start. Uh, I don't know what they have in Australia, mm-hmm. but here in the U.S., we have United Way, we have AmeriCorps, we have um, Campus Compact, we have um, the Red Cross. We have a lot of organizations that can get you a list of places where you can look into for um, your child. 
But one thing I would, you know, if we're talking to NG program and you want to start, yeah, scouting four inch um, silk kitchens, mm-hmm. you know, which, you know, or um, um, full pantries, because you, you may not be able to serve these hungry mm-hmm. as a young child. But in the food pantries, you can maybe stock the shelves and learn as an eight-year-old about hunger in your country mm-hmm. or your community. Yeah. And that's critical. You can do that even in your school volunteer in your school in the food pantry because so many schools here in the U.S. have pantries so that um, children who are are food insecure can take home food and feed their families. Mm -hmm. And so as a child of meanness, you can help stock the pantry and know that you're helping a fellow student who is food insecure. Mm-hmm. Well, that's um, that's a really. I've never heard of the food pantry. I don't think we have that in Australia, and I think that's a really no. Yeah, I don't. I did, did never went to a school here that actually did that. And actually had a, actually had, I think usually they had a tuck shop or a canteen and that was pretty much it. And it was usually just um, parents who volunteered to to run it or to cook the food. And most kids brought their own lunches or provided some, but I don't think I ever went to a school that actually had that sort of participation from children. No. I'm telling you, Dina, it is, it is several years in the making. We have mm-hmm. it in um, schools and we have it in colleges. Oh, wow. Because there is food insecurity in colleges. And yes. so if you're not able to afford the meals, you go to the food pantry and you pick up different food for yourself. And then you take it home or take it back to your dorm and you're able to eat. Wow, the same precepts exist for um, primary to high school years. Wow. I think that's a that's very interesting because I've never heard of that here. I'm pretty sure it might just be a something that's based that's for the US specifically. It may be. I yeah. don't know. I just know that um, you know we're we're doing a lot with food mm-hmm. pantries. Um, one thing I will say to you is that um, feeding America, which is a, a national organization here in the U.S., was the top charity mm-hmm. for twenty twenty two. Mm-hmm. Outpacing United Way. 
Wow. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that the pandemic increased food insecurity and hunger for so many families across the U.S. Yes. Yes. And that had a huge, I know I see it um, over here as well. You watch it in the news and you see how people could barely eat. People could barely, because they either had to pay rent, they had to pay all these other things. And I mean, rent wasn't going down either. Rent was pretty much more, they made it more expensive because of the lack of jobs. And there were so many things that sort of just didn't work out. And you definitely saw so much. I am so proud of a lot of communities who are able to sort of pretty much beg people to take part and beg people to sort of be a part of it and to help donate food as much as you can for people who are able to. And especially during COVID times, I think it was incredible to see the community that came together a whole lot more than usual to help people who they've never even met before. Yes. And that makes the huge difference is knowing that you're there before the grace of God go high. Yeah. I could be that hungry person. I could be that person without shoes. I -hmm. could be that person without a winter coat. Yeah. No, I completely agree with that. And the amount of um the amount of help that people were able to give was incredible in in every case, whether it's um providing I know a lot of people, um, people that I know helped pay a lot of other people's rent for a couple of months because they could be able to and pay heating bills and through summer pay um aircon and everything like that and they were able to just really come together as a community and I think COVID really showed that side of a lot of people no I agree so we're coming on to the next to the very last part which is the open mic and you're able to share anything that you're either working on passionate about it doesn't necessarily have to be about the topic it could be something that you're working on. I would love to give you the floor and just allow you to share in the last couple of minutes, just share anything that you are wanting to share with our audience. Well, I'm the main thing that I'm dealing with right now, I am a fellow with the American Council on Education and it's allowed me to work with uh, another university. I'm currently at Adelphi University. That's where my job is. But I'm allowing, the fellowship is allowing me to work with Shenandoah University in Virginia. And um, I'm learning so much about my leadership style, who I am as a leader, what I bring to the table. Um, It's made me 
very understanding um why people choose college mm-hmm. and what they want out of their college experience. Okay. It has helped me understand that the student and faculty are assets to a higher education environment Mm -hmm. and that the student needs to see value and the faculty member needs to have academic freedom. Mm -hmm. And both of those individuals need to have their needs met. So I'm learning a lot um, from the leadership here at Shenandoah, and I'm looking forward to bringing back um, as much information and um, new ideas, et cetera, to my job at Adelphi, mm-hmm. and um, just really be impactful to the students who want to call Adelphi home. Okay. That's, it's, inc- it's incredible just how um, the work that you're doing and that you're able to sort of see, see both the faculty, but also see the student and this, determine which is, um, like determine how you can sort of combine the two and make sure that they are able to both freely have a say in what their university is going to be like. Yes. So how how long have you been going through this process and um, going doing this work? Which work, the fellowship or um, academia? Uh, the fellowship. The fellowship started last August. Okay. So I was chosen in March of 2022 mm-hmm. and um, went to a few meetings and in August, that's when I started. So I've been here in Virginia since August 2022. Oh, wow. Okay. That's, that's amazing. That's very new, but you've done, it seems like you've um, had a, you've learned a lot already in that short amount of time so it's incredible yes i have learned i've learned a lot about senior leadership Mm -hmm. but more importantly i've learned a lot about myself that's that's always really nice to hear i love i love when um different jobs sort of impact you impact you in a different way and teach you a lot more about yourself as well so i i definitely applaud that and i definitely applaud your work that you're that you're going through as well and how impactful that would be to future students that join Adelphi and sort of go into academia. Thank you, Dina. That's all right. Well, I am, it was a pleasure having you on, Diane, and be able to talk about this and share your thoughts about uh, civic engagement as well as sharing some of your background as to how impactful your parents were in in sort of shaping how you are going to be and 
also the generation that sort of passed on to your children as well. And it's it's incredible to see just how uh, generations are impacted in how you see life and how you see your work. Thank you. It really, I'm very happy. No, you, you should be. You should be very proud as well. So it's, um, if there is an audience member that would like to get in contact with you, is there a way that they are able to? Sure. My email address is Kelly, K-E-L-L-Y, the mm -hmm. number five, at mm -hmm. Adelphi, A-D-E-L-P-H-I dot E-D-U. Okay, perfect. I will have that down in the link below in the description and then you're able to go straight down to Dr. Kelly and hopefully get in contact with her. Thank you. You've been listening to Raising Parents, the Parenting Science Insights podcast. Produced by the Parenting Science Labs, a division of LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. More episodes are available from 10 Life Management Perspectives and can be found by searching LMSL on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcasting apps available on your smartphone. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, share, and subscribe to our channel so that other people can find it and we can continue to provide quality content. More of our work can be found on our website at pa.lmsl.net, where you can join our movement. I'm Dina Sargent, and thanks for tuning in.